I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. You've probably heard of it, but you may not be using it. And we've all heard about how Facebook is destroying democracy, how Twitter enables the loudest, dumbest voices to have the most influence, how Instagram has ruined an entire generation's self-esteem. But what if I told you there was a social media network even more important than those? Every day, people are gathering online in this space to organize powerful political movements. They're sharing details of what's going on, locally, getting organized, and fighting each other in an online cage match of American politics. It's time to talk about Nextdoor. Here with me to walk through the intricacies of the site is Motherboard senior writer Aaron Gordon. Aaron, thank you for coming on another episode of Aaron and Matthew Do America. How are you doing? I'm good. Can I I take 30 seconds to do a quick aside that has absolutely nothing to do with anything? Yes, please. All right, so in our intro, we always play the clip from Independence Day of the package being delivered for absolutely no reason. Recently, I was explaining to my wife who has never seen Independence Day, the plot of the movie, um, because we were talking about like the definition of a summer blockbuster. And for some reason, that was like the first movie that came to mind. And like, did the did the did the infosec person for the aliens ever get their comeuppance for the poor like IT for the poor architect security architecture of that? system like i mean that seems like the just like an incredible security risk to have an open wi-fi that like jeff goldblum can connect to and just upload a virus without any any hacking any ability whatsoever like security to circumvent like he did it basically in like two seconds seems bad i wonder if this is i wonder if this question is answered in the sequel which i have not seen yeah, me neither. It could be. You, that might be that might maybe the maybe the the infosec guy like forms a new army to come and punish everyone. I don't know. Who knows? I feel like there's uh, there's one listener somewhere yelling at their <laughs> yelling at their podcast right now. The um, one person who actually saw the sequel, yes. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I was going to I was about to defend the sequel that I haven't seen and say lots of people saw it, but I don't uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. So, all right. That anyway. was my 30 seconds. Thank you. Sorry, we're going to talk you, about everyone. we're going to talk about gas ovens again at the end, but we'll get there. Um so we're here to talk about Nextdoor for the uninitiated for those who don't know, uh for those who are listening in places other than America, what is Nextdoor? Well, okay, so Nextdoor does exist outside of the US. Um so some listeners outside of the US may be familiar with it, but I do think it's like more of a thing in the US. Um Nextdoor is a hyperlocal social media network. Um it basically bills itself as like the digital equivalent of the neighborhood bulletin board. Um it's kind of more akin to like a message board, I think, that's geographically restricted. So when you sign up, you can only join the uh, neighborhood in which you live, uh, which the phone detects, which the the company detects either with the geolocation of your phone or with some kind of interface with your wireless company where it knows where the zip code you've been billed, which is kind of interesting. interesting. And and then or it like literally mails you a postcard with a verification code. So 
based on that, it knows, you know, like you sign up for your neighborhood and you can only see posts in your neighborhood. You can't like quickly join in different neighborhoods group, you know, in another state or another city or another country even. Um, it doesn't have that uh that capability. So it's just, it's so it's just like a hyper local social media network. The idea is that like you would post if you need help for something, if you see a new coffee shop open, if you know, you have something to give away um, those types of things. And it does have those posts, but as I'm sure we'll get into, it's kind of notorious for lots of other things. Yeah. I'm on it. You're on it. You got on it for the story, right? Yeah, I wasn't on it before I before the story. Uh, I don't feel like it's as big of a thing in New York. Okay, like it definitely exists. It's definitely here, but I don't hear or know of pretty much anybody who uses it. And that was verified um, when I joined, where it seemed to be really inactive. Like, well, there are neighborhoods. Uh, so yeah. I would say that, like. And this is me speculating, but like in New York City, there were already forms of like hyper hyper local organization that predate Nextdoor, right? Yeah, kind of. And also just like the way New York City geography works, like neighborhoods are pretty ill-defined, but very, um, but I, I should say ill-defined like geographically almost. And they get redefined every couple of decades according to like real estate trends, essentially. Um, so some people have very, very tight uh, associations with their neighborhood and lot, and other people don't because they have to move around a lot due to constant changes in rent. Um, so it just like creates a kind of weird dynamic with how neighborhoods actually work here and like what people associate with in geographically um, and just the ease of mobility from one neighborhood to another. Um I get the feeling that a lot of people who haven't lived in the same neighborhood for a very long time, um, especially people who don't own, um, which most people in New York do not, uh, they might not associate that closely with the neighborhood they live in. They might spend a lot of time outside of that neighborhood. So I think it's just kind of like, you know, because if you if you think of neighborhood in terms of like a rough number of population, you know, New Yorkers probably spend a lot of time outside of their own neighborhood. So. Yeah, I'm I'm on it, and in a in the suburban area where I live in the American South, it is very active. There's there's stuff on there every day, all day. A lot of it is, hey, I'm looking for a handyman. Hey, don't use this handyman; he ripped me off. These people are running around doing a scam. Hey, have you tried this restaurant? It was really good. There's a lot of that going on there, and that's kind of what Nextdoor bills itself as, right? It's supposed to be kindler and gentler, correct? Yeah, like if you go to their website, not like, you know, not logged in, but let's say they're like more marketing side of the website, they they explicitly bill themselves as like the word kind and neighborly is constantly used in their marketing materials. Their stock ticker is actually uh, they went public last year and they chose the stock ticker K-I-N-D or kind. Um, so, yes, that's very much like what they lean into. They want to differentiate themselves from. Uh, the other social media networks and, you know, just generally social media writ large as like a kind of toxic place. Um, they want to pretend that their website is somehow different or outside of that. So the story you've written for a motherboard is how Nextdoor put neighbors in a housing policy cage match. Can you walk me through why you became interested in Nextdoor and 
and, you know, I know that this is kind of what we'll be talking about for the rest of the, the episode, but like, what is it about this social media site that creates these heated political discussions? Yeah. So first uh, I'll kind of back up and just say like real quick that a lot of people listening to this will probably associate their next door or have seen in their own next door group, like a lot of very toxic behavior. Um, the site has become very, I mean, that's become a notorious aspect of next door groups that like, basically they're a locus for neighborhood hysteria, uh, especially around crime and homelessness. Um, this has become extremely well known. Like it's not a secret. The company has put a lot of energy into trying to combat it with, I think pretty, unconvincing results but the company obviously argues otherwise um so like that's not a secret um what interested me can we pause right there sorry we've got a uh sounds rather nice so far can't wait for the terrible stuff that makes makes you feature this um i want to just real quick because i know that this is not like broadly what your piece is about but i want to highlight this I would say that a good like 40% of the, the activity that I see on Nextdoor in my neighborhood um, is ring a camera footage. And a lot of it is like, hey, kids are walking down the street. Who are these kids? Not The kids aren't doing anything. Uh, by the way, I live near a high school. <laughs> <laughs> like I live literally within walking distance of a high school when the marching band is playing for a football game. Like I can hear it in my house. Like that's how close I am. But a lot of the, a lot of the stuff on the site is ring camera footage of kids walking through the neighborhood and people being worried that the kids are up to something. That is a lot of what's going on there. And so you can, it's, it's paranoia. Um, it's a lot of people, it's not all this, but there's a decent, a fair amount of like people kind of in their homes, looking out their windows and sharing it with people online. Um, yeah. So the thing that I, th- I think this got cut from the final story just cause it's kind of long enough as it is. And it was a bit tangential to, to what the story is really about. But, um, a lot of the people I talked to said that when they first joined, uh, their next door from when the group was created uh where at first it really would be a lot of the things that next door likes to say it's its site is for and then you start to get people who are just constantly posting the types of things that they would normally just say in their own head or in their own homes suddenly they're posting it to the internet like um who left all this garbage you know on like the side of the road or who's responsible for parking on my block if this car i don't recognize or why did four cop cars just go by with their lights and sirens on? Like the kind of like minutia of suburbia that I think living in a kind of uh, consistently dull environment generates. And I don't mean that in like an as an insult, like the dullness is one of the selling points of suburbia, right? It's supposed right. to be safe and calm and nothing dangerous happens. But like that just can lead a certain type of person to create like this kind of heightened suspicion. And that gets uh, posted about on next door quite frequently. Um, that's a very common thing in a next doors across the country. And uh, it kind of, and, and, and it, and it builds over time. So like it starts kind of, you know, it starts kind of innocuous 
like, okay, someone left garbage in your house or like someone parked on your block. Who cares? But then it becomes like you say ring doorbell footage of people doing absolutely nothing wrong with this tinge of suspicion, you know, and just like all of a sudden there are all these things going on in my neighborhood that I don't understand or I don't know about or I don't really like condone. And it creates this kind of like like uh neighborhood watch style paranoia that's focused on very specific types of people doing very specific things. Uh, and it kind of metastasizes over time and becomes unhealthier and unhealthier. There was a, uh, one of the recent big controversies on mine was that somebody saw, uh, what they assumed to be a child on a, uh, golf cart and the neighborhood was desperately trying to figure out who this child was so they could be reprimanded for riding, for driving a go-kart, or not a go-kart, a golf cart underage. Um, <laughs> assumptions have been made. Accusations were flying. Um, it encourages neighbors not always to be kind to each other, right? Um, yes. And it also has become a forum for very specific, or a forum for political discussion, hyper-local political discussion, right? Which is what you really looked into. Yeah, so the the way I started looking at the story, like I said, like none of none of what we talked about so far is is new is is unknown to the denizens of Nextdoor. Um, lots of people have left the platform because of these things we've talked about. But one thing that I was starting to hear from housing activists or even just like people I know who happen to be on Nextdoor, a lot of my coworkers were seeing or hearing the same things in their own Nextdoors around the country, is that housing politics was becoming an increasingly contentious and not just contentious, but like dominating topic on their next door, like an all consuming uh, uh, debate that was just like constantly going on on their next door. Um, And when I say, when I say housing politics, just to, just to kind of clarify exactly what I mean when I say housing politics, because I'm probably going to be saying that a lot, this conversation I'm talking about uh, homelessness. I'm talking about zoning reforms and changes. I'm talking about parking minimum requirements. Anything that has to do with with the number of homes that cities are building, where they're building them, and just the housing crisis kind of writ large, um, which is obviously an increasingly salient political emergency around the country. Uh, And and, but. You know, because of the way Nextdoor works, you know, you can only see what's going on in your own neighborhood group. Uh, There hadn't been much written about the kind of effect Nextdoor was having on housing politics. There hadn't really been much exposure to the fact that housing politics was a significant topic of conversation beyond maybe the the kind of like toxic, uh, you know, conversation around homelessness specifically. But like but like this goes so much beyond that. Um, and so I wanted to look at, you know, try and find out as best as I could, like what these conversations actually looked like and more importantly, what impact they were having in the real world. Right. Because a bunch of people are arguing about housing politics online. Big whoop de doo that happens. This has been, been happening for, for a couple of decades now, not news, but I was hearing that, you know, it was having significant impacts on like what was actually happening with local housing policy. And so yeah, that was basically how I got started reporting on the article. So it sounds like, uh, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like basically Nextdoor is almost a place where people audition and recruit? 
Yeah. So like there's kind of the, the, the more I learned about this dynamic, the more interesting I found it. Um, so there are kind of a couple of things going on here. First, the, you know, obviously next door, like it is an absolute perfect place for fighting about local housing politics, right? Because the only people there are the people who ostensibly might care, right? It's not like arguing about, you know, zoning reforms in your county on Twitter, where maybe some people live near you on Twitter, but mostly it's just going to be people who either ideologically agree or disagree with you weighing in, but who otherwise aren't, you know, aren't affected by the policy. I do, I do want to say for people that, that don't use the site, it does, um, it uses your real name. Like you can't be anonymous on it. So like that's part of the part of the package. And it doesn't say like exactly where you are, but it'll have like, it kind of narrows the neighborhood area where you live. Right. So, yes. So, so the idea is like, if there's a zoning reform proposed, and you felt a certain kind of way about it, either pro or con next door you. And you were thinking like, how do I create a social media network or ecosystem that would just be ideal for organizing people around this issue? It would basically look like next door. Like I, I can't think of a single quote unquote improvement or change you would make to next door to make it more ideal for like creating a constituency for housing politic reform on the local level. It's just basically perfect for it. So it, and, and obviously advocates figured this out. Um, and when I talked to them, they, you know, said to varying degrees that next door has become an increasingly important tool for them. Uh, the way it works, you know, and it works slightly different in different places. I don't want to paint too broad of a brush, but basically it seems like housing advocates have zeroed in on the fact that, with Nextdoor, you can basically start arguing with someone who disagrees with you, get a nice long you know, argument thread going. And these arguments literally last for weeks. I'm not kidding. Like people argue in the same thread for weeks about these things. And then eventually a new thread will get started and they'll go again. Um, and whether intentionally or not, and I think it's increasingly becoming intentional, these threads will be created for the purpose of seeing who else weighs in. And then when those people weigh in, you can basically use it as a form of talent identification. You know, someone comes in and repeatedly expresses views that you agree with, you know, that they're on your side, essentially. At that point, activists will DM them, you know, using direct message and say, you know, hey, I noticed you care about this issue that like, you know, you, you seem passionate about it. Uh, why don't you come to the next city council hearing or why don't you join our group or let me tell you a little bit about what we're about. And they essentially recruit members this way. Um, another thing they can do is post like if there's a, you know, if the, if the local if the local public authority in charge of whatever uh, policy is go, is, you know, under discussion is holding a public meeting where they have public comments. They'll solicit people to uh, file comments, you know, either for or against, um, or they'll ask people to show up or ask people to take surveys that the government is commissioning. You know, they just basically use it as a tool for political organizing and recruitment. And 
what a lot of them do is once they get once they get people into their umbrella, they then communicate to them through other channels, you know, like either an email listserv or a Facebook group or, you know, what what have you. So it's kind of like Nextdoor serves a completely different purpose as these other social media networks. Nextdoor is like the big umbrella that they use to recruit and get the word out in this very targeted way. And then they use other social media networks or technological communication channels to just com- communicate with the members that they've already recruited. So I'm a, I'm a next door lurker. I, I very rarely post. I've posted just a, like a few times, usually about pet stuff. Um, but I did witness something like this happen when uh, the city was toying with the idea of building a strip club somewhere a little too close to the neighborhood. By a little too close, I mean kind of up the road a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, strip club had burned down on Christmas. Not kidding. Uh, they were looking to rebuild. They were going to rebuild a little too close to suburbia. Suburbia pushed back, and it pushed back pretty hard and heavily. And it got organized on Nextdoor, and I watched it. I watched it all play out. And I'm wondering if you can kind of give me some other specific examples of this playing out. I'm thinking specifically of, is it Roberts, the gol- the retired golf professional? Yeah, Jim Roberts. Jim Roberts. Um, so he lives he lives in Bend, Oregon. Which, for those not uh, familiar with Bend, uh, I, I, coincidentally, I actually have a friend there, so I've been there several times. Um, it's a very pleasant place. It's like a kind of like a G, it's it's in the eastern Oregon, so about three hours from Portland. Uh, it's known as like a you know kind of like if you're into outdoorsy stuff it's kind of a paradise because it doesn't it doesn't rain very often but they get snow in the nearby mountains um but there's you know great hiking skiing uh biking mountain biking all that kind of stuff you can do basically any outdoor activity in bend um so it's very popular it's a short flight from the bay area and seattle so very popular uh for you know vacation or summer home from for wealthy people um, from those areas. Uh, and it's a bit of a boom town at the moment. Uh, it goes through boom and bust cycles always has, but, um, the last like five to 10 years, especially has been a big boom time. Um, and naturally they have a housing crisis as a result of it. Homeless problem. Um, the problem being that the homeless people don't have homes, not that the homeless people exist. Uh, and they are also having trouble just recruiting uh, workers to work at like, you know, the various places that are around town. Um, it's just a very difficult place for people who make a middle income to live. And so Jim Roberts um, wants Ben to build more homes for these people. He has been on his local next door for years. Um, and he's noticed that the group in recent years has become heavily weighted NIMBY, like against all of these proposals for new homes for more density for more housing not in my um, backyard yeah that's right and you know like he 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 will you know see posts regularly um asking people to like sign petitions to save the parking in the neighborhood you know like uh oppose measures to get rid of mandatory minimums for parking at new developments because they're afraid of how like it's not really like basically they're afraid that um, if there are no mandatory minimum minimums for parking on new developments, people will start parking on their blocks, which will make parking harder. Um, and that's very bad, uh, I, I suppose. And um, 
Yeah. So, so Jim is basically, you know, there are like people he regularly battles with on his local next door who are opposed to these housing initiatives. And, uh, the kind of interesting uh, observation that Jim had uh, is if you look at his local next door group, it seems like all of these things the city is doing to try and promote the new housing are incredibly unpopular. You know, voice, he roughly ballparks it as like, you know, roughly 70 to 80 percent against, you know, people see, you know, in terms of the people voicing on next door, like it just seems like it's very unpopular and people don't want it. And it kind of cultivates this false majority mentality where it's like well obviously everyone's against this but the city is ramming it down our throat anyways um and yet in the local uh, uh, you know the, to the poster goes the spoils yeah i mean but in the local you know the, it, it, this is kind of like juxtaposed by what actually happens when they hold elections right. um in the recent election the de- the pro growth essentially um uh city council slate swept and so it's like there's this dichotomy between what people on next door think the consensus is and what actually seems to be the consensus when a general vote is held on relate you know related issues so that's another kind of dynamic here is that like next door leans heavily nimby like almost everywhere i I would even go as far as to say everywhere um it, it is just like a fundamentally nimby platform yeah because if Um, you if you care enough to post about it right yeah it's just i think there are a lot of reasons why it weighs weighs that direction one is it's obviously geared more towards homeowners who have roots in the neighborhood it's obviously geared more towards older people um that's just which is brought out by various like just anecdotal observations and also just uh demographic like studies um it's obviously geared towards people who um well at least in terms of posting the posting is mostly geared towards people who have questions about what's going on in their neighborhood that they don't understand that they care enough about to post and just like this generally seems to manifest in terms of the poster base being being older. Now, in this, I should say that like Jim Roberts is sixty five. I think I think he's sixty five. He's in his sixties. He's retired, but he's pro housing, pro growth. So it's not like it's not like universal that older people are going to be nimby's. But that's definitely the 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 pattern. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you for sticking around, cyber listeners. We are back on talking with Aaron Gordon, all about Nextdoor. Is there, this is a question from the audience. Hello, Reese. Is there any overlap in the type of posting on Nextdoor with the type of people that show up to the community forum meetings for planning projects? Yeah, great, great point. And uh, the short answer is yes. And that's like the point of the organizing on Nextdoor is to create that overlap. Um, So... 
I can't remember if I was on the pod to talk about this piece, but last year I wrote an article about how the community feedback process is fundamentally broken. And one of the many ways in which it's fundamentally broken is that it, it the people who show up to comment at these things are not representative of the community as a whole. So you end up with this kind of like false perception of consensus. And one thing that I was kind of surprised to see so, came out of my next door reporting so clearly is how next door basically replicates that flawed process. Exactly. Um, it is the exact same type of problem. You have a very small number of hyper involved, generally older homeowners who think they have some kind of like manifest right like veto power over whatever goes on in their neighborhood and are generally excellent at organizing and using the levers of power to create the sense of broad opposition to a policy that doesn't necessarily have it that just has vocal opposition from a minority um and so it's it's a very very similar process i can't tell you um precisely like yes it is the the exact same individual showing up for both all the time but i can tell you that um one of the kind of areas i focused on in my piece are arlington county in virginia which is undergoing this huge fight over a zoning reform there um it is very much the same people showing up to both and both sides of the issue pretty pretty much told me that um and one of their main reasons for being so active on next door is explicitly to get more people to show up to those types of to those zoning commission hearings on their side we've kind of talked about this a little bit um but i really want to drill home this point and i'm going to read a paragraph from your piece to to set it up the fact that there is so much discussion of housing on next door is no coincidence if anything it's an inevitability based on the platform's fundamental design if one set out to devise a social network specifically for the purpose of debating housing issues and forming political base rooted in hyperlocal paranoia, it would look an awful lot like next door. What is it about? Is it just that it's only people in the neighborhood and that it's mostly housing issues? Like what is it about this platform that incentivizes this kind of behavior in this kind of discussion? Do you think? I think it's the the geographic limitations are obviously key because um, like I like I said earlier, you know, just limits the the. It, it makes it seem like it's just the appropriate place to be having this conversation right to the type of people who care a lot about this issue. They believe that every one of their neighbors should care that, you know, their neighborhood is about to be destroyed, you know, either through the lack of building more housing or through the building of more housing. Um, and so they're trying to get their neighbors to care as much as they do. The second thing is um, the platform prioritizes conversations with lot like active conversations with lots of comments. So if you post, for example, I need, you know, I'm looking to give away like a bench or something. Does anyone want it? And then one person replies, yes, I want it. You know, I'll send you a DM. And that's like all there is in the thread that post is not going to show up very high on your on your like feed because it's not very active whereas something from like 5 days ago about 
act now to save our parking and has like 200 comments is going to rank much higher. Um, this is pretty common among social networks, but when you're in a hyper local social network with not that many posts and not that many issues at any given time, it means that if housing is the big issue in your area at that moment, a lot of the top posts are going to be housing. And, um, you didn't you didn't use it well you weren't very it wasn't very active where you were right so you how, like you didn't get to experience it like a whole whole lot right the site i mean i i used it and i did see some active threads but the active threads were about things like you know they 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 were generally like very silly conversations i don't really know how to how to put this other than like they'd be like anyone feel like crime is higher now and it's just and and it's just like then it just go on like this and it was just like i don't know it just felt like it wasn't even it wasn't about anything specific like a lot of the a lot of the stuff in the story is like there was no policy there was no new thing that i was supposed to it was just like people just posting like random thoughts basically um it was just i wouldn't say it was inactive it just was active in a very like lethargic kind of way it's it's weird because I don't know if it's just that I don't know how to use it because this may be the case, but it does seem like I feel what you're talking about where like noise really rises to the top there in a way that other – I mean I know that's every social media network, but it feels hard to navigate and like even find old threads. It just – it feels a little pokey and strange somehow. Uh, I don't really know how to do, else to describe the feel of it other than that, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it because there is an algorithm at work. It's not chronological, but it's very difficult to understand like what it's surfacing and why. Yeah, and and one of the and one of the things I think I heard from you know kind of like power users who use it is that just like it feels like there's just some chum at the top. And then like the one big thing that's being discussed at, in the neighborhood. And so everyone kind of gravitates to the one big thing. And that's increasingly something related to the broad umbrella of like housing politics. This is funny. Somebody's advertising. Uh, there's a community association meeting tonight. And that's like one of the big discussions on mine as yeah. I'm looking at it right now, because of course. Nice. Nice. Uh, another, another aspect, this is not really in the piece, but it's something that you and I talked about kind of offline is that this whole thing feeds into suburban loneliness too, right? The way this site works. Yeah, I think it can. Um, and this is a bit outside the realm of housing politics. Cause like, I think a lot of the people I talked to for the story would not describe themselves as lonely, you know, like I just, so I don't want to, I don't want to cast dispersions or imply that you know, it's related to the people I talked to in the piece, but from our casual use of next door. And I can tell you, like I, like when I signed up for my local next door, I recognized a bunch of the people who are posting on there from people as people in the neighborhood I have run into on the street and I've talked to, and I know, and these are people who in my experience are either deeply religious evangelists and are just like the kind of people who use literally any platform they can possibly think of to post about how much they love Jesus. Or there are people who I kind of, you know, regard as like 
I, 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 who I, I read personally as being lonely. Like they seem, they seem lonely, like the way they walk around the street, the way they talk to strangers. Um, it just seems like they're kind of constantly looking for something to do or someone to talk to in a, in a, in a sad way. Um, and you know, it's like, I do talk to them when I see them on the street. Like I do, you know, like it's not like I ignore them. Um, but when they post on next door, um, they kind of post in the way I imagine they would talk to someone if someone was there to talk to. Um, and it sounded like you kind of had a similar read with some of the people on, on your next door, some of the most prominent posters on your next door as well. Yeah. Cause it's not, I mean, it's not a very walkable place where I live. Um, I think some of some, but not all of the people around me are, you know, have unhealthy lifestyles and it just seems like there's a lot there's a lot of reaching out into the lonely void on this site too as well as all of the other things um another thing i want to i want to mention is that uh to be clear like political organization via social media is not necessarily bad right like we i don't want that to be the message from this episode yeah well i think it's like you know, again, and in the context of this loneliness question, like I think Nextdoor might respond to that observation and be like, we're giving people a way to communicate with their neighbors when they didn't have one previously or like they didn't feel like they had one previously. Obviously, they're using Nextdoor. Um, and maybe there's something to that. I mean, my my piece wasn't about how lonely people use Nextdoor. So I didn't really add, you know, like seek those people out or interview them about how much fulfillment they get from posting on Nextdoor. I can't answer that question. Um, but there is something, perhaps there's something there. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but what I can say is that like, it's definitely true that some people do find community on Nextdoor. It's definitely true that Nextdoor has served society, societally useful purposes, both in the past and I think still in the present. Although it seems like it's, societal utility is dwindling as time goes on um but one aspect of finding community is finding people who agree with you on political issues in your local neighborhood and organizing around them that's been a way that americans find community for centuries uh and so i think like the fact that next door is being used in that way is not a scandal. Like this isn't a piece about next door doing anything wrong. I think we kind of like explicitly say that in the story that no one I spoke to for this story thinks next door is doing anything wrong, thinks it's violating any kind of ethics um, or, or should necessarily be doing anything differently. It was more, it's more that next door is becoming you know like we've we've spent so much energy in the last decade and especially in the last you know five to seven years focusing on how facebook and twitter are increasingly important in politics in political organizing in misinformation in all these kinds of societally important ways um you know what's the relationship between facebook and democratic norms has been like probably one of the biggest political and societal questions of the last decade. Um, and so this piece was more to like signal that uh, next door is also becoming very, very important in local politics um, in a way that hasn't been widely recognized before. 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean next door is doing anything wrong, you know, but like, uh, but it's definitely a dynamic we need to be aware of if we're going to think about what, you know, democracy looks like on the local level, because if we're making it even easier for these voices that, you know, as we talked about, have always had, you know, outsized influence in their local communities, maybe not to the, to the best, you know, to the, to the best output outcomes, um, then we need to be aware of how those communities are finding new ways to gain influence. And I think next door is definitely becoming that. Well, the other thing I think uh, that's very interesting about this is that with next door, these connections are very explicit and concrete and trackable, right? Like we, people aren't anonymous. You've got their names, you know, roughly where they live. You can see, you know, specifically the posts about a specific political topic and then know whether they know to a certain degree, whether they've organized and like what's going on, what's going on in ballot initiatives, what community council meetings are talking about that kind of thing. Right. With the influence of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, uh, which I do believe have an influence to be clear, like the, like the direct causes of things are much more fuzzy in like harder to nail down. And you can say things like, um, you know, uh, this, uh, government spent $500 to promote this post. And these are the number of people that interacted with that post. But like, what does that interaction actually mean? Did they act on the meme they saw? Did it change their mind? All that stuff is really nebulous. And we talk about it a lot, but I, but it, it's always been very fuzzy for me. Like this is extremely concrete. People talk about explicitly what their politics are and then act on them. Right. And I think that is very different than what we see in some of the other social media sites. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think like that's what makes the larger social media sites scarier because it seems like it could be having a mass influence on a very subtle level. Um, I don't think it's so subtle anymore, but like, you know, but like, you know, just the idea that like, you don't know if millions of other people are becoming convinced of this extremely crazy by this extremely crazy tweet or post you just saw, right? Like that's the danger of the large social media sites. And I think, well, I'm not, I'm not even going to say like whether I think that's true or not. Like we've taught, you know, that's kind of been like a main, a main subject of debate and contention on, you know, motherboards reporting for years. Um, So like, that's just kind of like an ongoing area of study. Whereas on next door, someone posts that people should sign a thing, people sign a thing, you know, and, and, or they post, you know, show up to the city council meeting. If you care about the zoning reform and people show up to the city council meeting, or as we're increasingly seeing, um, super posters who are like very worked up about specific issues, then start running for local office. And they say, I gained my following through my next door posts. This has happened on several occasions throughout the country. Um, and it's going to happen more often. I think, at the risk of making a prediction, I think like our, you know, the next generation of political superstars might be people who start off on the local level as super next door posters and kind of hone their political visions through that. And honestly, that's very scary to me, like very scary, because I think this is a absolutely terrible way of measuring like of measuring political sentiment, of measuring community values is what people see on next door. It's, it's funny you mentioned that something I've been thinking about the last, like just the last two weeks um, is the non posting voter. 
which I think which I would which I would define as a, a, a voter who's of maybe medium to high information, but doesn't have any idea what the hell's going on on social media. Uh, and I think that that is probably a lot of voters. I think it's important to remember um, something I always like to remember whenever we're talking, whenever we get ex- exercised about what's going on in cable news is that the audiences for those things are very, very small. Um, there are popular YouTubers that have 10 times the audience of uh, the most outrageous political uh, 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 talk show on Fox or CNN or MSNBC. Um, I think a lot of people are not interacting with this stuff uh, and just kind of go in every day. Right. And so like, it's interesting to be able to, to watch the political activism and organization live as it happens though. Right. Like that is good. You know where people stand and you can go back and look at their posts. There's that. Yeah, I mean, there is that. Um, you know, Nixon had a word for non-poster lurkers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the lurker question is interesting because um, that was pretty much the main reason that the next door posters I spoke to who engage in these drawn out arguments over arcane zoning rules that make people's eyes glaze over. But with the ferocity, like they're talking about you know, I don't even know, like the ferocity they're talking about, like whether or not their own house should be bulldozed tomorrow. Right. Like, it's just like the, the, the disconnect between the urgency of their debates versus like what these zoning rules would actually do is always kind of, always kind of sticks out to me, but the, they always say the, 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 I brought this up because they always say they're doing this for the lurkers. They don't expect to convince whoever they're arguing. Right. Right. Because that would be crazy. They're, you know, they're as open to being convinced as their opponent is open to being convinced, which is to say not at all. They're doing it for the people reading the conversation, hoping that they change some of their minds or turn someone who's currently agnostic into being in favor or against you know, like they're trying to convince the lurkers and, you know, the open question to that for me is like, who the fuck is reading these conversations? <laughs> like, like who's 200 you would, comments you deep in your. No, I mean, like who's fucking 200 comments deep on a thing about like, you know, our three R zoning reform, you know, duplexes versus triplexes, rear access law. Like, I mean, it's just like. No, like, like it seems implausible to me that anyone has made it more than two comments deep in your thread. Like, it, it, so it, it, there is like this weird, this weird uh, disconnect there between like what they say they're doing versus I think what they're actually doing. Um, but yeah, they're doing it for the lurkers. They're doing it for you, for you, Matt, for the orthogonians out there. They will be saved. Yeah. Uh, real quick, is there moderation on Nextdoor? Are there moderators? Yes, the moderators are local volunteers, often the people who created the neighborhood group or then passed it off to somewhere else. Importantly, though, the moderators can only review and delete flagged posts. They cannot suspend or ban users. If a user gets flagged, so like basically the difference, the difference is if someone posts something that's like, um, has missing like COVID misinformation 
or is hostile towards homeless people, the post can get flagged and then the moderator deletes the post. But if or the comment, but if the user does something that violates community guidelines, like threatens someone or doxes someone or what, you know, something like that, then their their account gets flagged. And someone who works for Nextdoor or, you know, a contractor or whoever um, reviews that activity and then suspend or ban the account. So the local volunteers who actually live in the neighborhood have no ability to uh, suspend or delete accounts, which is very funny to me because lots of people who I spoke to for the story accused moderators of banning or suspending other users based on their own ideological conflicts and not their behavior. So like that was that was especially funny to me. Uh, I have I have seen also that live happen in my in my next door uh, moderators being accused of corruption. Um, so yes, <laughs> I've also seen yeah. that happen too, which I thought was which very funny. Any, anyone who used to hang out on like message boards before social media is super aware of this dynamic. Like this yeah. is like this is old school message board feuding one oh one. I think a lot of Reddits still have this. Yeah, why dynamic. did you why did you delete my post? Are you afraid of the truth? That kind of <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna see us out, but I do want to bring up the last time that we spoke. Uh, we talked about gas stoves and the amount of messages that I got from, from <laughs> listeners, uh, emails, DMs. I was shocked, shocked. I say at the amount of people who were interested the in the gas stove thing. Uh, were they all mad? Were they? No, all- that was the, that was oh, okay. the thing I wanted to, I wanted to read this one, which comes from a student uh, in the Netherlands. Um, can't believe you got to got me to listen to two Americans talking about stoves for forty eight for forty one minutes. <laughs> uh, here in my student housing, gas isn't even an option. Electric or induction only. Only you just get one of these standalone ones. Uh, it was compelling forty one minutes. It was just such a weird way to find out that Americans are so resistant to change that to stuff that really isn't life or death, like the way you heat a fucking pan. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then like the way you heat a fucking pan. I love that. It's so true. Uh, and I have decided that I'm going to try one of these induction stovetop, like the little ones that you got from Amazon. And can you, tell, Oh hell yeah. Will you share with me which one you got? I can't, I, I know you told me, but I can't remember now. It was, uh, hold on. It was the ducks top. D U X T O P is the one that I have. Like the, I think it's the one wire wire cutter recommends. There's one that wire cutter recommends. Well, you can't go wrong. Yeah. With wire cutter. They've never I, well, made bad you know, recommendations before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, fuck it, man. Life is too short. Like <laughs> that I'm, should be uh, wire cutter. I have I offer that tagline up to you for your use. <laughs> Feel free to make that your 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 tagline, your motto. It is I I it, you deserve it. Um, yeah, I mean, I got it. It's good. I like it. Um, I don't have any complaints. Just make sure you're using the right cookware for it. Um, it, if you have um, if you have cast iron or um, Dutch ovens, those work best, I find. But some stainless steel work too. Although the stainless steel pots we have make weird noises when it's on there, so we don't use them. That's, but, that's uh, interesting. It's the magnetism, man. It's right. all crazy. It's bizarre. Um, to our to our dear dear friend listener in the Netherlands, I will just say, 
my friend, this is the tippy tippy top of the iceberg of things that Americans will fight to the death over that make no fucking difference. We kind of just like to fight, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, some, some do. I don't, I don't personally, I've, I have delicate blogger hands. Really? I can't, I can't be fighting. You're come on. You like to, you like to, you like to fight people, not like physically, but you're, um, you're to tell me that, that if you, that if you meet someone in this, in the street that, that is in your neighborhood, that you have housing disagreements with, you're not going to argue with them. Oh no, I don't, I don't argue over housing stuff anymore, man. (laughs) I've learned my lesson, learned my lesson. There is simply, I, there is simply, if I've learned anything from this story, it's that there is no possible way to honestly defend the behavior of arguing with someone about housing policy. It's just a no win situation. People feel very strongly about their housing policy beliefs and they will not change them. And it's based on absolutely, well, I shouldn't say absolutely no evidence. It's based on them backfilling their intuition with available evidence that they can find. It's, I can't think of another issue actually in American life, maybe guns, but it's up there with guns in terms of issues that people will not change their minds about, but will argue forever about. Guns and is, I just like, I don't know why that is, but like, yeah, it just told it, It's just definitely a thing. Guns is a good one. That's another good one. Uh, what is it about? What is it about housing that like everyone thinks there's a, there's there, that it's worth arguing about. Cause like there are lots of issues in American politics, in American like life that people disagree on, but like we don't, constantly argue about like it's just kind of like accepted that like people disagree on it but housing in particular seems like you get two people who disagree in a room together and they both think it's worth their time to argue about it and i haven't i don't even off of next door like even when there are no lurkers and i don't know why well it's intimate right like you're talking about the neighborhood your surroundings where you live you know that stuff can feel like life or death for people. And it feels as if it should be something that you have a lot of control over, even if you don't necessarily Mm. do. So I just want to, on that note, I just want to pull up something from my story. I talked to a housing expert named Yona Freemark, who's the research director of the land use lab at urban Institute, just to, because like, obviously the piece is like mostly about these people who care very much about these housing policies and think they will have huge impacts on their on their neighborhoods their cities their counties and so i just asked him like what do we know about how much impact these policies will actually have and here's from the piece um it's difficult to generalize about the impact zoning changes have on housing said yona freemark uh because there are many different types of zoning changes each type can be done at different scales and the specifics of where those changes are being made will have an impact on what the changes accomplish What we do know, Freemark said, is that if there's more housing available, in general, housing prices go down. However, more housing available does not automatically result from changing zoning policies. End quote. Uh, Freemark said zoning reforms that are bigger in scale, um, so for example, like more drastically changing the zoning code, will have a larger impact than more moderate ones. Also, changes in cities with vibrant real estate markets will have bigger impacts than ones in less active markets. And he said there's, quote, relatively strong evidence, end quote, that zoning reforms uh, that make 
more types of buildings permissible, such as missing middle housing, tend to increase land values. So the way I would kind of summarize my interview with Yona about this is that there's a there's a lot that we can't say, cannot say about what any given zoning reform will do. There are a lot of factors and variables, and even the experts who study this stuff full time can't really tell you in advance concretely what any one of these policies will do instead. And and then you, but that is not at all the vibe you get when you go into these next doors, right? Like everyone is very certain about what these things will do. And this happens all the time. Like there's been examples in Chicago, for example, of this, of like, or Minneapolis for a better one. Minneapolis is like probably the poster child of like a city that has made pretty drastic changes to its zoning code in a way that a lot of people thought would spur a lot more housing development. And it hasn't really happened. Like there have been some, some successes, but generally speaking, the housing that everyone hoped would be built hasn't materialized. So like there's, but, but the way that opponents to the Minneapolis zoning reform were talking about it made it sound like every single neighborhood would just be leveled and replaced with four to five story apartment, you know, like faceless apartment buildings. And that's not like even close to happening. And so it's just like, even, I guess I just want to like emphasize that like, there's so much certainty from the people engaged in these debates and what these things will do. But the experts who study the impacts of these policies are much, much, much less sure what impact the policies actually have if they're enacted. Well, people will pull the levers of power that are available to them. Right. And if they've made that emotional connection that this lever is the one that's going to get this result, even no matter how true it is, that's the one they're going to try to keep pulling. I mean, yes, but I just think it's interesting that like it seems like a lot of people get motivated to get involved in housing politics because they see a perceived problem or because they're fearful of a future perceived problem based on these policies. Otherwise, they don't really have much incentive to care about these issues. Right. Like the local like, for example, like the people who are deeply opposed to missing middle in Arlington, Virginia, like if they actually believed that the zoning reform would have as little impact on their neighborhoods as research seems to suggest it would. I don't think they would care. I think the problem is, is that because like their whole thing is they want to preserve the way the neighborhood feels. Right. And I think if they so it's so it's interesting to me that they seem to be almost putting aside what the existing research shows about this effect because they're buying into the rhetoric that the proponents of the policy are putting forward um, about the drastic changes it will make. So it's just like there's kind of like an interesting dynamic there where I think like everyone is kind of getting sucked into this rhetorical world of these policies having much bigger impacts than they probably will and then fighting over these imagined, you know, imagined possibilities. All right, let's let's table it there uh, before we do another hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming on to Cyber. Uh, Aaron, once again, for another episode of uh, Aaron and Matthew Do America, I really appreciate it. It's always a lively discussion. Good audience today. Uh, if you like the show, please follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV, where you can interact with us and be part of the live experience, or you can watch it live also on youtube.com forward slash motherboard, where you'll be notified whenever we go live and you can watch them as they roll out. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. You should check out some of the live streams, though. They're fun. 
All right, stay safe out there on the internet. I will be back again later this week with another stream. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody. Goodbye. Good discussion today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.